Let's bow our heads this morning as we open up the Word. Dear Heavenly Father, you are here with us, not because of who we are, but because of who you are, Father. And for that reason, this morning, we are asking that as you are here, that you would send your Spirit so that we could understand what you would have us understand today, that you would speak a message that that we can relate to, that we can grow from, that we can be challenged by. That is our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. I recently had the opportunity late last year to go to Egypt. I'm sure a few people here have been to Egypt. And on my trip to Egypt, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I'd already spent a couple of weeks in the Middle East and things were beginning to be a little bit mundane. So there we are traveling through Egypt. On the first day, we we jumped off the plane, and there were the Great Pyramids. And I've actually got a photo for you here on the screen, which will be on the screen soon, I'm sure. And that is of the Great Pyramid. And here, can everyone see that all right? No worries at all. Here we have the Great Pyramid. Now, the angle of the photo... It's, the Great Pyramid is a little bit dwarfed by my arms. I understand that that is an issue. Um, yeah, I'll have to work on that by a selfie stick or something like that. It's actually really hard to get a good photo of the Great Pyramid. But, but while I was there, I, I learned some facts about this pyramid which I found very interesting. Number one is that this pyramid is so big, it's 230 meters by 230 meters. It is out by 90 centimeters from being an exact square. So some of the the, um, blocks that make up this this pyramid are between 2.5 to 15 tons. Massive, massive. It takes you around on a guided tour. It would take about an hour to get into the interior It's made up of 2.3 million blocks, and it's around 13 acres in size. I have heard that if you were to take the blocks in equal portions and place them, you could get around the coast of Australia something like two and a half times. Incredible. Dwarfed by my arms. Interesting. I'm sure if Blair was there, it would look even smaller, but we'll work on, on that later on. In, on our um, travels throughout Egypt, from, from here in Cairo, we jumped on a train overnight and went down to Luxor. And Luxor is known throughout the archaeological community for having around a third of the world's antiquities or artifacts from the ancient world. A third. You go there and you see these massive temples. You see these structures that were built and they make you feel incredibly small. They make you feel a little insignificant. I'm not talking here about mountains. I'm talking about man-made structures that are around 4,000 years old. Incredible temples that were built by pharaohs of old. You can see why Luxor and why these temples have gotten the reputation they have. You can see why millions of tourists flock there each and every year. 
But it wasn't the temples that really caught me by surprise. I was, I was expecting these things. It was something else, and that is a terrible photo. It was found in the Valley of the Kings. The Valley of the Kings is a desert region over on the west side of the Nile River. And this is the burial place of some of the greatest pharaohs that ever walked the planet. Some of the greatest rulers that ever walked the planet. Inside the Valley of the Kings, hands up if anyone has been there from here. A few people have visited the Valley of the Kings. You understand that although it's great to be there, you kind of want to be back in the air conditioning on the bus. It is so hot in this place. Getting off the the bus, getting off the bus, we made our way up into the valley where we began to see entrances into tombs. And these tombs, for some, were sealed for thousands of years before they were discovered. You see, the way that they used to discover them was waiting for rain to fall down onto the walls of the valley. The rain would rush down the ravines. And then, by surprise to those on looking, it would find its way randomly into holes in the ground. Everything was covered by sand, everything was covered up, but this rain, as they watched the path that took, the archaeologists would be able to come and discover where the entrances to the tombs were. In one of the tombs that they found, they had recorded a man by the name of Tutankhamun. Tutankhamun was one of the youngest pharaohs that ever ruled, and he is the only pharaoh that they couldn't find, that they had record for. So here they are, archaeologists, man. We're going through and trying to discover this tomb, but they couldn't. There was a man by the name of Howard Carter who was sent there in 1914, paid by a man named Lord Carnarvon. And this man, Howard Carter, spent years there up until the First World War trying to find this tomb, trying to find the entrance to Tutankhamun's tomb. He was sponsored, as I said, by this Brit. And every year he would have to report that they hadn't found anything yet. But they kept looking year after year, year after year. Finally, World War I came. It was time to pack up. It was unsafe in the area, so they left. Several years later, he went back and began digging with word that it was going to be their last season, the last season that he would be there digging. Howard Carter, with confidence, went in, began excavating, began digging. Finally, they found something. It was on November 4th. 1922, that they found this stairwell going down to Tutankhamun's tomb. He sent word back to Lord Carnarvon, hey, we're onto something here, come quickly. It wasn't until a month later that they were able to open the tomb. You can imagine Howard Carter sitting there for a month, not sure what he had discovered, but knowing that it was going to be great. The problem was that all the other tombs that they had found, the grave robbers had found first, the the tomb raiders had found first, to the point where he had opened up several sealed tombs, only to discover that the, the tomb raiders had gone in another way. They were buried down another way. Anticipation is building. Excitement is there. Lord Carnarvon is there. 
they open it. They open the tomb to discover an outer chamber. And that outer chamber is magnificent. It is beautiful. It is decorated with art that you can still see today. Art that inspires, art that tells stories, art that that really takes you on a journey of discovery. Within this, this room, they found treasures that they had never imagined. They found gold in amounts that they could never describe. It is now on display in museums around the world, but just knowing that all of this gold came out of one place is incredible. Inside the burial chamber, they discovered a gold box. And inside that gold box, they discovered a smaller gold box. Inside that gold box, they discovered a smaller gold box. Inside the smaller gold box, they discovered a smaller gold box. Inside the smaller gold box, they found a golden box that wasn't a box. It was more of in the shape of a human being. And inside that golden thing in the shape of a human being, they found another golden thing in the shape of a human being. They continued to go down and down and down. Until finally, they discovered the headpiece of Tutankhamun. I've seen the original. It is amazing to look into the eyes of this headpiece. It is almost scary. For me, coming out of the 21st century and going into Egypt... You can sense the power, you can sense the responsibility that the individual who wore this would have carried. A sense of respect. Tutankhamun, the wearer of this, was inside. I don't have a picture of Tutankhamun, but I do have a black thing that is a mummy and a shocking photo at that. Inside the headpiece, they found the mummy of Tutankhamun. This was the first tomb or pharaoh's lair that they had found that hadn't been robbed. News broke out across the world. Everyone was interested in seeing the mummy of Tutankhamun. They found out that he was nine years old when he came to power. He was 18 when he died. This was a young pharaoh. This was a pharaoh that hadn't had the chance to amass the gold that other pharaohs had. This was a pharaoh that didn't have the reputation of other pharaohs of war conquests. And yet the gold amazed everyone in the room. The gold amazed the entire world. The treasures that they found inside. The interesting thing is, let's go in our Bibles. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. And this is where this verse began to really make sense for me. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going now in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to see in verse 24 what the Bible records about a well-known character. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24 says, By faith Moses... When he became of age, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, 
choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The gold that they found in this man's tomb amazed the world. Imagine Moses is there in the court of the Pharaoh. He isn't just in the court as an intruder, he is actually heir to the throne. Moses could have claimed the throne as a Pharaoh in Egypt. Moses could have been like Tutankhamun, buried in a headdress, buried in a mask that showed respect, that gave him the keys to eternal life as the Egyptians believed. Moses could have been a mummy. But he isn't. We can't find his body anywhere. That's not a surprise, it's a big planet. But we can't find his uh, body because the Bible records that Moses, after being buried by God, was taken to heaven. We can't find Moses. We can find Tutankhamun. We can find many other pharaohs. I think there's over 180 mummies that we can find. We can't find Moses today. Why is that? Because Moses made a decision. And that decision wasn't logical. That decision wasn't a decision that you and I would find easy to make. That decision is found in verses 24 and 25 when it says that Moses refused to be called the son of a pharaoh. Moses refused to have what the pharaoh was offering. Moses refused to take pleasure in sin. To have his needs met. What did he trade it for? It says that he chose rather to suffer affliction with God's people. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs. Just after the book of Psalms, we find the book of Proverbs. And there in Proverbs, we see in chapter 14 and verse 12, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the end of death. Did you get that? There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. For Tutankhamun, for other pharaohs that went before him, the logical thing that they could do is take the throne in Egypt. Even within families, there were struggles for the throne. They would kill each other to get what Moses could have had rightfully. And yet Moses chose something totally different. Why? Because the Bible says that even though there is a way that seems right to a man, it ends how? In death. Have you found that? Have you discovered in your life that there is a way that seems right, but its end is death? 
Have you made decisions in your life that have left you feeling empty, left you feeling abused, left you feeling like there is no hope? There is a way that seems right, but the end is death. It's not like we have a big signpost before us saying life and death. We don't have that luxury a lot of the time. We don't have a big signpost before us saying life this way. And all of us good Christians begin to march right or left for you. We don't have that luxury. Instead, we have a world that is trying to confuse us. We have an enemy, an adversary that is trying to confuse us to the point where we make decisions that we think are going to produce life, but they produce death. I remember my uncle Pete, my great uncle Pete, I remember he was one of my favorite uncles when we would have family Christmases. Having Uncle Pete over to stay was always a joy. My nickname from Uncle Pete was Jolly the Sausage Roll. Why wouldn't you love Uncle Pete coming over when you got nicknames like Jolly the Sausage Roll? (laughs) Luckily, it hasn't stuck. Uncle Pete was an interesting character. You can see that I used to like sausage rolls a lot. I, I still do, vegetarian ones, of course. The other ones are filled with who knows what. It was sad to discover that, but that's all right. Uncle Pete would come over. We'd have a lot of good times together. He's always making jokes. He's always playing pranks on us. When we were young, the jokes were funny. When we were old, we could actually understand the jokes. It was even more funny. Uncle Pete was an absolute legend. And I say was because Uncle Pete isn't with us anymore. Because he made decisions that he thought were going to produce life, but they didn't. Uncle Pete used to come around the house with a, with a, a brown paper bag. Uncle Pete used to make decisions that led him to a crowd where he would inject things into his body. That ended up taking his life. Uncle Pete although he was innocent at the start, began making decisions that led him down a path that he could never understand. It led him to do things that he would never have done in his right mind. I remember when I was around seven or eight years old, I walked into my room, my prize piggy bank was there. All of those 20 cent, 30, no, not 30 cent, 50 cent, dollar coins, two dollar coins, I've been saving them up for ages, waiting to go to Macca's. Mum wouldn't let us have Macca's, but Uncle Pete would. <laughs> I went into my piggy bank one day to deposit some coins, only to discover that all of the coins weren't there anymore. Later to find out that my 40-something-year-old uncle had taken them. Seven or eight years old. This guy could have got a job. He takes off me. Imagine learning that your uncle had taken your little piggy bank coins to go and buy drugs. What a a messed up world. 
did Uncle Pete sit down when he was 20, 25, even my age, 28, and say, hey, one day I'm going to steal off my nephew. I'm going to go and take drugs. I'm going to mess my life up so bad that it hurts every single person in it. I don't think so. I don't think he ever did that. But he did. Why? It's simple. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Uncle Pete found that out the hard way. But luckily for me, I could see Uncle Pete's life. And luckily for us, we can learn from our mistakes. And like Moses, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. The key to understanding the way to experience life is found here in these verses in Hebrews chapter 11. Speaking about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 25 says, rather suffering the affliction with the people of God than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. There is a way that seems right, but it ends in death. There is a way that seems difficult, but it ends in life. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Whoa. Are you serious? Moses considered affliction of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Now, when I imagine Egypt, when I imagine the pharaohs of Egypt, sure, they did these cool little dances like this and whatever else. Sure, they had cool headdresses. Sure, they had heaps of gold. But these guys were peasants living in the deserts, weren't they? Didn't Moses leave a tent in the desert to go and live in another tent in the desert? Didn't Moses leave a crummy life to go and lead another crummy life and hope that he would have eternal life at the end? Not at all. Moses left a palace in Egypt. And not just a single palace, they had palaces all over the then known world. Moses could have had a palace to himself at any given moment. He left that He left that life of luxury. He left a life of luxury that could afford him a boat on the Nile with servants that would row him around whenever he wanted. He left that life. And instead, he chose the reproach of Christ, the affliction of Christ. Why? By faith, it says in verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How did Moses do what he did? How did Moses leave the luxury of Egypt and go and live in a tent with a bunch of crying, starving people that didn't want him alive? How did Moses make that decision? How did Moses wrestle with a palace in Egypt versus a bunch of whinging, crying people? How did he make that decision? It was simple for him. 
because he saw something that no one else could see. He saw what you and I can see, and that is he saw the invisible. He endured for seeing someone who was invisible. Now, another word in Hebrew that could be translated from the Hebrew is not just invisible, but ignored. Moses didn't just see the invisible God. He saw the God who is ignored. He saw the God who is evident, yet ignored. He saw the God who is not just not able to be seen. It's not like we walk around and if, if we just don't try, we don't see him. No, 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 no. He saw the God who is ignored. We see God. We see the evidence for God. We see the attributes of God. And we ignore it. Why? Because we seek pleasure. Because we seek a way that seems right at the beginning. But it ends in death. Moses overcame his carnal desires. He overcame the desire within himself to please himself. He stopped ignoring God. And he said, God, I want you to take control of my life. That was a journey of faith. It took a step of faith. The question is for you and I this morning, are we willing to take that step of faith? Are we who are sitting here this morning willing to stop ignoring what God is doing in our lives and say, hey, I want to be about my father's business. You see, God is leading us, whether we acknowledge it or not. God is at work in each of our lives, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we are a Christian or not, whether we pray to Him or not, God has a purpose for your life. And that purpose is far better than anything that you could dream for yourself. The question is, are you going to keep ignoring Him? Or are you going to say, like Moses said, this seems pretty difficult. But I would prefer to go through this in order to gain that. I would prefer to stop living my life the way I, the way I would like and start living my life the way he would like. You see, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. There is also a way, and that way is Jesus. That way is Jesus, the eternal Son of God. And He is calling out to each one of us this morning saying, come and follow me. It may seem difficult, but it's worth it. And we are sitting here, many of us, knowing this to be the case, Knowing that with Christ, our lives are better off. And yet there are parts, yet there are compartments in our life that we haven't surrendered to Him. 
yet when it comes down to it, there is a way that still seems right to us, even though its end is death and we've been there before. And we keep sitting here. We keep saying, I want it, but we don't go and get it. What am I talking about this morning? I'm talking about a simple step of faith that is the hardest step that we could ever take. I'm talking about saying, Jesus, I want the way that you are offering. I want the way that you have shown me over the way that seems right to me. Because what seems right ends in death. It's the way that you have made for me that I want to follow. Is that where we're at this morning, church? Are we at the place in our life where we are willing to forsake the riches of Egypt in order to go wander in the desert? What does that even look like for us today? Did I literally drive away from a castle this morning to come and worship God in persecution? No. Am I called to wander through the desert for 40 years? No. Or maybe, I, I don't want to answer that for you, but for me, probably not. So what does this mean for us this morning, Kingscliff Seventh-day Adventist Church? It means being willing to, to go through sacrifice. It means being willing to do what God is calling you to do. It means to stop ignoring God and start taking those simple steps of faith. You see, the Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. And all uh, all the women here thought that they got off the hook with that. All of the older people thought that that was speaking about the young people. And all of the young people thought that that was speaking about their parents. But what the Bible is saying is relevant to every single one of us this morning. And that is that there is a way that seems right to you and to I. That there is a way that the devil is presenting us that seems like it is the better option. And God is calling us to forsake ourselves. He is calling us to forsake what we see. He is calling us to take a step of faith to follow in the footsteps of Moses, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Church, this year, God is going to do big things in this congregation. God has already brought us so far, but this year there are going to be challenges There are going to be things that God asks us to do that we don't feel like doing. We've tried that before. We've seen that before it failed. We've put ourselves out there, nothing came of it. God is asking us not to trust what we we see. He is asking us to trust what we know and what we know is Jesus Christ is leading us. And the challenge is for each and every one of us this morning is to say, hey, I want to go where Jesus wants me to go. I want to follow him. So church, if we want to follow Jesus, 
if we want to put our faith in Him, maybe you said that yesterday, but today is a new day. This is a new year. Maybe you did that 20 years ago. Today is a new day. Let's commit as a church to following the way that God has laid out for us. On an individual level, yes, but also on a corporate level. Let's stand and pray together as we ask that God would be in control of our lives and of our church. Please stand as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you because many of us were on a course to self-destruction and you pulled us off that course and you have given us a new course today. I want to thank you for the way that you have been leading our lives and I want to thank you for the way that you are going to continue to lead us as a church. I want to pray that that you would continue to work on our hearts, Father. May your spirit be here in a real way. As you have been convicting hearts this morning, Father, I pray that you wouldn't stop. That you would continue leading us to the place where we can say, like Moses did, that there was a way that seemed right to us. But we chose what you were offering us, Father. May that be our testimony today. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.